Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. Hear these words from the book of Hebrews. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. The word of the Lord. but think that the miracle that can happen is that we can receive your forgiveness and that we can forgive others. Let that be the miracle today. We thank you for your living water that washes away our guilt and flows into us your healing forgiveness. Your forgiveness is so healing. rejoice in what you have done. And we're here together to hear you speak. Open our ears and our minds and our hearts as Beth delivers the word that you put on her heart. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. 
Good morning. You know, these past several weeks, we, we've been walking through this series called, Is Good Enough Enough? So walk through the book of Hebrews. Last week, Keith, he gave us a glimpse of the worship rituals and expectations of the early Hebrews. And he reminded us that the difference between Christianity and all the other world religions is that Christianity is the only religion in which there is no set of rituals or list of rules through which we can find redemption, through which we can find sanctification or, or fulfillment. Well, we know that in our heads, right? But how many of us feel good enough? I mean, if Christ has paid the price for my justification and I've accepted him as my Savior, why is it I don't feel fixed? And if we're honest, y'all, don't we kind of like rules? I love rules, right? Rules bring order to chaos, yes? Rules make me feel good about myself when I can fulfill them. Am I the only one here who feels that way? We like the rules, yes? We talk a lot about what it is to walk with God. Enoch walked with God. Abraham and Isaac walked with God. The disciples literally walked with God. But the idea of actually being on this journey with God, instead of being fixed here and now, it kind of rubs this type A personality the wrong way. I mean, are we there yet? So if you're visiting with us this morning, or if you don't know who I am, my name is Beth Markham, and I'm the Director of Worship Arts here at Trinity. And before we go any further with this morning's discussion, I want to invite you to connect with one another in the dreaded small group discussion time. Yes? And you're going to ask one another one small question. As your worship director, I ask you to ask one another, what does worship mean? Because I think if we can come to an agreement of sorts on what that word means, then the rest of what I'm going to have to say today is going to make a whole lot more sense. Okay? So you're going to split into groups, like three, four, five. What does worship mean? Go. I'm a little nervous that y'all were so engaged in that conversation. <laughs> Who? All right, so shout some things out to me. What, what, what's worship mean to you? What is worship? Oh, now they're quiet. It's an offering. It's a surrender. What else? Appreciation. Sorry, what was that? Glorifying God. Sorry? Intimacy with God. Upstairs. Giving worth to God. These are all great definitions. They're all really good in various different contexts. Um, if you know me, you know that I like to define God um, by telling God's story, or d rather define worship by telling God's story, telling the story of God. And you may not know what I mean by that, but I promise I'm going to get there. So bear with me. The Hebrew word for walk is halak. 
It's your little trivia for the day. Halak, Hebrew for walk. It's a verb. And as much this word is used repeatedly in the Old Testament to describe God's relationship with human beings. It's this fluid thing. It's an action thing. But the later rabbis, they kind of switched things around when they replaced yalak with its parallel noun, yalaka, the walk. Do you see the subtle difference? See, the journey with God becomes replaced with a list of rules to get to God. The verb becomes a noun. A professor of mine used to say it becomes thingified. We make a thing out of it. And I think we do this with worship as well. See, we thingify worship. We call it the worship, which to some of us means the songs we sing or the prayers we pray or the service we attend, and to others it may mean the things we do in response to God's mercy in our day-to-day lives. But worship is a verb. It keeps moving forward, as does our relationship with Christ. Okay, think about it this way. How many of you, has everybody been to like a football game or a concert? Right? We've all done that, yeah? It's all right. Y'all can talk back to me. It's okay. So you go to a given place, yes? And maybe you get a little program, and you go in to the game or the concert, and you participate, yeah? You sing, and you dance, and you cheer, and you do the wave, and, and hopefully you stay until the end, and then you leave, and you can say, okay, well... I did that thing. I experienced that thing. But how does it change if the band calls you up on stage to sing with them? Or if the coach calls you down onto the field to kick the winning field goal? See, that's a horse of an entirely different color, isn't it? It's no longer this ritual of participating with the thing. You've become a part of the thing. Last week we looked at Hebrews 9, which lays out in pretty good detail this prescribed ritual for worship in the Jewish tabernacle. It was familiar to that reader, much as the detail of our liturgy may feel familiar to you. Now, side note, why do we call it a liturgy? See, what our congregation does when we come to worship together, it doesn't really follow the order that a lot of us may think of when we think of liturgy. Um, I use the word because of its meaning. It means the work of the people. Yeah? It doesn't mean the work of the worship leader or the work of the band or the work of the elders or the work of the people who happen to like that particular work. It's the work of the people. And hopefully, as we found in our discussions, it doesn't just mean the way that we worship when we come here. So I hesitate, I hesitate to call it the worship because that thingifies it. But that doesn't mean that the work of the people gathered together in the presence of God is not a valid and important piece of walking with God. 
Are you tracking? So liturgy is kind of a churchy word, okay? So for the purposes of this discussion, just for this discussion, we're going to agree that when I say worship, I'm limiting it right now to what we do in this place when we come together to worship. All right? Telling God's story, giving honor and praise to the Most High King. So Hebrews 10, the text read for us, it begins with this described ritual of worship in the tabernacle. It reads, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. See, worship in the temple, it was a really big deal. You talk about prescribed ritual. You started out in the outer courts. There's a temple and there's outer courts. And you started out in the outer courts. Anybody could go into the outer courts, even the Gentiles. Anyone can go in the outer courts. The outer courts, by the way, is where Jesus got mad at the money changers and tipped over the tables. And he did that because not only were they profiting off of the sale of animals to take into the temple for ritual sacrifice, they were, they, were, they were making it so expensive that they were preventing the poor and the disenfranchised from drawing near to God. So he did not enjoy it when we get in the way of God and the people who need him the most. But even though you could go into the outer temple, only the Jews could go inside to the inner, to the, to the outer room. They had to get, they had to have a pedigree. They had to have enough money to get them a sacrifice and they take it in there. But even they couldn't enter God's actual presence, the Holy of Holies, where the sacrifice for redemption was made. Only one chosen man could do that on your behalf because we weren't clean. They weren't clean. Yeah? And as Keith reminded us last week, dude, they had to tie a rope around this guy's waist before they sent him in. Excuse me while I take off my earring that's annoying us. Um, they, had to tie, they had to tie a rope around the guy's neck before he went in, or his waist, in case he drops dead in the presence of God, because guess what? He's not clean either. What was the purpose of all this? Forgiveness. The word says to make perfect those who draw near. But it kind of didn't work, did it? Because they had to keep coming back year after year. And if you read your Bible, you can see that it still didn't fix them. It says in verse 2, otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers have been cleansed once and would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Okay, so what does? That's a Sunday school answer. Jesus. All answers are Jesus. Yes? Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice an offering you did not desire. But a body you prepared for me, with burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. 
You see, even following the letter of the law didn't fix it. Hey, side note, the, the writer is quoting Psalm 40 here. Why? We quote Psalm 40 because the readers knew it well. Um, it was a part of their liturgy. It was a part of their worship. It tied together the old and the new, a part of their journey. And so Hebrews tells us, he sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Boom. We're fixed. We can all go home. Does anybody here feel fixed? Now see, when you came in, if you looked at your bulletin, you may have noticed that the title of this message is Once for All. And so you may be feeling a little confused right about now. Yalak. Walking with God. See, Jesus doesn't have to keep going to the cross. He was the perfect lamb. And as he said, it is finished once for all. Hallelujah. But why are we here? If this priest Jesus has offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, as the author has said over and over in this letter and says again here in verse 12, why are we still here, here in this place, offering worship every Sunday or more? Do you remember what happened when Jesus died? The book of Matthew says the curtain of the temple, the thing that separated the unclean from God, was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. The rocks split. The order of man's relationship was blown apart. Or rather, it, it was restored. The law... And here, the law in the scripture is referring to the ritual sacrifices, was but a shadow of the good things that are coming. See, before Christ's sacrificial worship or work on the cross, we couldn't draw near because we weren't clean. Now, the sacrifice has been made once and for all, and we no longer need worship for cleansing but simply to enter the inner sanctuary and the presence of God. How many of us come and enter into all of this for no other reason but to enter into the presence of God? Or do we want something from him in return, an experience uh, the satisfaction of having done something that was expected of us, or how many of us, it's okay, given our druthers, would uh, rather just opt out of that part? Because it's not a question of salvation. It's already done. And I wonder, I wonder what would happen 
If coming to worship in the assembly for no other reason than coming in to the presence of God, regardless of style or volume or feeling it, became an integral part of who we are as a church. Not because we have to, but because where else but the presence of God would we want to be? And yet we know that God is transcendent. He's everywhere. Worship is a lifestyle, not just a liturgy. But I want us to be honest about this thing. Are we using the busyness of our lives, our various means of being good enough to draw us nearer to or farther away from Yalak, from walking with God? Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. The word there is liturgia, by the way, liturgy. Um, again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. See, we're not done yet. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Did you catch that? He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So which is it? It's already done once for all. Are we in the process? Both. You see, God, God is present future. Graham Cook says that a lot. He is the now and the not yet. And that's a reality we live in. It's not a comfortable place for us, many of us raised in this Western culture where we've been cultivated to figure out the answers. Logic is comfortable. Rules are comfortable. Mystery not so comfortable it, at least that's how it's been for me the holy spirit also testifies to us about this and here the writer quotes the prophet jeremiah first he says this is the covenant i will make with them after that time says the lord i will put my laws in their hearts and i will write them on their minds then he adds, their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. That's us, y'all. Graham Cook also says this. I love this. He says, unlike us, he says, unlike evangelicals, God is not obsessed with sin. I love that. <laughs> it's already paid for. God sees us as we will be and meets us where we are to continue the journey of restoration, the now and the not yet. Now, those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, we made a decision once. 
to repent or turn from our sin. But if we're honest, we, we, we kind of got to make that decision every day, right? Because we still sin. I, I tend to think about repentance as either something I did or something I need to do. I thingify it. But the Greek word most often translated as repentance in the New Testament is metanoia. Metanoia is the journey of changing one's mind, self, or way of life. It's a journey. It's an active process. It's also, by the way, the title of the worship CD we're going to be releasing in September. <laughs> so as you know. The reason we chose that title is because we embrace the reality that we're all on this journey. And yeah, we walk in this journey in amazing grace and can sing with confidence that we are victorious for Christ is alive. And yet we also sing, renew my heart, even in the dark. I will follow by the blood. My soul can sing because a Savior died. Who sees what I did there? That's the names of many of the songs. <laughs> and where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. See, we know that we're redeemed. We're not just good enough. According to verse 14, we've been made perfect forever. The blood of the Lamb has accomplished this. It is finished. Amen? but I'm going to push the envelope a little bit. Because while we've been made perfect, verse 14 also says we're still being made holy. See, there's more to this journey, and we don't want to settle for good enough in the holiness department. So here's a question. Is good enough for you living a moral life, dying, and going to heaven? Is that what we're in this for? Oh, friends, don't believe that's true. God has created us to play an active role in his story. God's whole creation is on this journey of metanoia, of being restored to his original design. And we, you and I, we get to be a part of it. And you're here today, and you haven't quite decided about this whole Jesus thing. Well, will you consider that walking with God is a lot more than a one-way ticket to heaven? It's an invitation. It's an opportunity to become a part of something much bigger than yourself and far greater than anything you could ever imagine. Which brings me back to my favorite definition of worship. Telling the story of God. Which I didn't make up, by the way. I stole it from Robert Weber and N.T. Wright. I'll explain. Consider that the Bible is not a religious rule book. But it's a true story. It's a drama the grand narrative of the world, the story of God. Now, in our corporate worship, 
we strive to declare, remember, and enact, we do that at the table, the story. Creation to mankind's fall, to God's covenant with us in divine rescue mission, incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, restoration, in which we live now, in a forward-moving fulfillment. There's your metanoia, as we wait in anticipation for Christ's return. Now, we do this both horizontally. That's what I'm doing right now. Uh, talking about God, teaching about God, what we do with our testimonies and sharing the life of the church and the songs we sing and the prayers we pray that speak of who God is, his faithfulness, his promises. This reminds us who we are. We also do this vertically. That's the part where we enter in to the eternal narrative and we draw near for no other reason but to come into the presence and meet with the Holy of Holies. I believe that when we do that, we too are present future. We reach beyond the veil and into the reality of the eternal kingdom. And so it is when we go out into the world as well. We continue to worship with our lives, not only telling God's story, but stepping into it, saying yes to this role he has created each of us specifically to fulfill. Some of us, we may have gotten used to thinking about that role as, as purpose. Do you guys remember purpose-driven life, purpose-driven church, purpose-driven community? Well, all props to Rick Warren. I love Rick Warren. But I'm not sure that purpose captures the scope of the relationship that God made for us. Can I show you something? Okay, I need audience or congregation participation. I need three volunteers to come up here. Don't be shy. Come on. Yep. Come on. Come on, Nathan. You stood up and I called your name. In church. All right. It's a metaphor, okay? No emails. It's a metaphor. Yes, it's a metaphor. Come stand up here on the step. There you go. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Yes? Now I want you all to hold hands. All the way, make a circle. There you go. And now you can dance a little bit. Dance. <laughs> See, look. That's God. You know what he asks of me? Let's dance. Y'all see? He wants us to step into the story. Thank you. You can be seated. <laughs> Yay! He wants us to enter in. We have a role. And all this worship, our name in God's narrative, is made possible by one ultimate act of worship on the cross. 
Think of it this way. How many of us have heard of William Shakespeare? We know William Shakespeare, yes? You've read his plays? Okay, so imagine that we have just discovered a long-lost manuscript, a long-lost play, and we've got the first two acts, and we've got the last four pages of the third act, okay? So it's incomplete, but we know most of the story, and we know the ending, yeah? And so we also know Shakespeare. We know how he writes. So now what we have to do is step into our roles and complete the story. We know where we're going. We just got to fill in this little bit of time. Our role in God's story, our worship, is not a thing. It's a verb. It's not the walk. It's walking. Off the sidelines, out of the mosh pit, smack dab into the middle of God's story. That's what we're created for. That's life to the full for which we are set free, not by our own work, but by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ once for all. So you ready to go? Let's pray. Oh, Lord. Father, I pray that you would make us a people that will not settle for good enough. But Lord, that will leap head first into your story, into your presence, into your kingdom. And Lord, that when we come here to worship, Father, that it would not be something that we do because we're supposed to, but that we feel ourselves longing for your presence, falling deeper in love with you, coming to serve you for no other reason that we want to be with you. Lord, make us the same way when we leave here, showing your love, showing your presence, not because we have to, we don't have to, but because where else would we want to be but walking with you? Lord, I pray that you would send a season of sweet communion to these people, to us, to the city, and Lord, that your kingdom would come. In Jesus' name.